Remember, history lives on through the stories we tell. I'm Peter, and this is Who Died Today, the podcast that explores the lives of famous individuals on the day they passed away. Today we're venturing into the life of Fidel Castro, the polarizing and revolutionary leader who transformed Cuba through his decades-long rule. His impact on the 20th century political landscape was profound and contentious, stirring both condemnation and admiration. Today marks the seventh anniversary of his death, so without any further ado, let's examine the formative years of Fidel Castro. Part 1, The Seeds of Revolution, Birth to Barracks, 1926-1953 to Fidel Alejandro Castro Ruz was born on August 13, 1926, in the rural town of Brian, located in the eastern province of Holguin, Cuba. His father, Angel Castro Yaquiz, was a Spanish immigrant who had prospered in the sugar industry, becoming a plantation owner. His mother, Lina Ruz Gonzalez, had been a maid to Angel's first wife. Fidel was born out of their later union, which was formalized after Angel's divorce and subsequent marriage to Lina. Growing up in the lush Cuban countryside, young Fidel was acutely aware of the social inequalities that riddled his nation. His father's plantation was a microcosm of the broader societal divides, with wealthy landowners at the top and impoverished laborers, many of whom were former slaves of their or their descendants, at the bottom. Their early exposure to the stark contrast between the haves and the haves-nots would later become a driving force in Castro's revolutionary ethos. Castro was sent to Santiago de Cuba for education, where he attended schools run by Jesuit priests. His education was rigorous, and the Jesuit influence was significant, instilling in him a sense of discipline and intellectual curiosity. However, it was also during these formative years that he began to challenge authority, demonstrating a rebellious streak that would define much of his later life. In 1945, Castro enrolled at the University of Havana to study law. The university was a hotbed of political activity, and it was here that he became politically active. He was swept up in the fervor of student politics and nationalistic movements, developing a reputation as an impassioned orator and an adherent to anti-imperialist ideology. Castro's political activities became increasingly radical during his university years. He participated in an expedition to the Dominican Republic to oppose the dictatorship of Rafael Trujillo and he became involved in urban resistance movements against the corruptions that plagued Cuban politics. His law studies took a back seat to his growing commitment to activism, and he became known for his fiery speeches against social injustice and political oppression. After graduating from university, Castro began to practice law, often taking on cases for the poor and marginalized. However, his true passion lay not in legal work, but in the growing resistance against the Batista regime. Fulencio Batista had seized power in a military coup in 1952, canceling elections that Castro and others had hoped would bring about change. Outraged, Castro resolved to overthrow the government, believing that armed struggle was the only path to real change. Castro's early attempts at revolution were fraught with challenges. He assembled a small group of supporters to attack the Moncada barracks in Santiago de Cuba on July 26, 1953. The poorly executed assault resulted in a catastrophic failure, leading to the capture, torture, and execution of many participants. Castro and his brother Raul were among those arrested and subsequently tried for their roles in the uprising. 
During his trial, Castro delivered his famous History Will Absolve Me speech, in which he defended his actions and laid out his vision for a free and just Cuba. The speech became a manifesto for his future movement. Though sentenced to 15 years in prison, Castro's oratory skills and political messages resonated with many Cubans, setting the stage for his eventual rise as the leader of the Cuban Revolution. His imprisonment would be a brief hiatus in his path to power, as national and international pressures eventually compelled Batista to release pr political prisoners, including the Castro brothers, under an amnesty deal in 1955. Castro's time in prison had solidified his resolve, and upon his release, he immediately began to plan the next phase of his revolutionary campaign, one that would eventually lead him to the pinnacle of Cuban leadership. Part 2. Gathering Forces, Exile to Insurrection, 1955-1959 Upon his release from prison in 1955, Fidel Castro found Cuba still languishing under the oppressive grip of Fulencio Batista. Determined to renew his struggle against the dictatorship, Castro realized that he needed a new strategy and to secure a base of operations. Facing constant threat from Batista's secret police, he chose to leave Cuba and regroup in exile. His destination was Mexico, where he could safely organize his next moves and where a community of Cuban exiles and sympathizers awaited. In Mexico City, Castro reunited with his brother Raul, and they met Argentinian revolutionary Ernesto Che Guevara. Guevara, a physician and Marxist thinker, quickly became an integral part of Castro's inner circle, sharing a vision of a socialist revolution that would not only overthrow Batista, but also establish a new socioeconomic order in Cuba. Together, they began the arduous task of recruiting and training a guerrilla force. Castro's ability to inspire and his uncompromising stance attracted a diverse group of volunteers, ready to fight for change. The group, which called themselves the 26th of July movement in memory of the Moncada Barracks assault, became intense in their military training while also engaging in political education. Castro knew that his revolutionaries needed to be as ideologically committed as they were physically prepared. During this time, Castro honed his leadership and strategic planning skills, transforming a band of dissidents into a cohesive fighting force. On December 2nd, 1956, Castro and 81 other revolutionaries set sail for Cuba aboard the yacht Granma, intending to spark a nationwide uprising. The landing was a disaster, with Batista's forces ambushing the rebels almost immediately upon their arrival. Only a dozen fighters, including Castro, Guevara, and Raul, survived and managed to regroup in the Sierra Mastra Mountains. There, they established a guerrilla base using their rugged terrain to their advantage. The next two years witnessed a David versus Goliath struggle as Castro's small band of guerrillas waged a war of attrition against Batista's military. Using guerrilla tactics, they conducted hit-and-run attacks, sabotaged infrastructure, and spread propaganda, slowly gaining ground and support from the rural population. Castro's leadership was critical. He proved adept at avoiding direct engagements while choosing targets that would demoralize the enemy and inspire the people. In the cities, parallel underground resistance movements carried out acts of sabotage and spread the revolutionary message. The synergy between the urban and rural factions was coordinated by the Castros and their growing network, which now included student groups, labor unions, and even members of the traditional political opposition. 
By late 1958, Castro's forces had grown substantially in the number and in equipment, largely through defections from Batista's army and support from rural peasants. The guerrillas began to take control of territory in eastern Cuba, establishing parallel governments and implementing agrarian reforms. Batista's regime, riddled with corruption and suffering from low morale, was weakening. The final offensive began in the winter of 1958. Castro's forces moved westward, capturing city after city with a combination of military prowess and popular support. On January 1st, 1959, Batista fled Havana and Castro's forces took control of the capital, marking the end of the regime and the beginning of a new era for Cuba. The triumphant arrival of the rebels in Havana was met with jubilation by the populace, who saw in Castro the dawn of hope and promise of a reformed society. In the aftermath of his victory, Castro's national stature was immense. His success was not only a testament to his strategic acumen, but also his ability to articulate a vision of sovereign and a just Cuba free from foreign domination and social inequality. As he prepared to take the reins of power, Castro stood on the threshold of implementing a radical change that he had long envisioned. Yet, even as the celebrations continued across the island, the complexities of governing and international pressures loomed, foreshadowing the challenges that would define Castro's rule. Part 3. Revolutionary Leader and Global Figure, 1960-1975 The 1960s marked the consolidation of Fidel Castro's power in Cuba and his emergence as a significant figure on the global stage. With the victory of the Cuban Revolution, Castro faced the monumental task of resurrecting Cuban society along socialist lines. He embarked on a series of radical reforms that would dramatically alter the island's political, economic, and social fabric. One of Castro's first moves was to nationalize industries and implement land reforms redistributing wealth and resources to the poorer segments of society. This included seizing properties owned by American corporations, which quickly soured the relations with the United States. In response, the U.S. imposed a trade embargo, severely impacting Cuba's economy. Castro turned to the Soviet Union for economic and military support, firmly aligning Cuba with the Communist bloc during the Cold War. In 1961, the Bay of Pigs invasion, a failed attempt by Cuban exiles backed by the U.S. to overthrow Castro, only served to strengthen his position. Castro declared Cuba a socialist state and accelerated his reform agenda, further centralizing power and suppressing dissent. Education and healthcare reforms were introduced, dramatically improving literacy rates and healthcare access, achievements that earned Castro both domestic and international praise. However, the human cost of Castro's policies became increasingly apparent. Political opponents were jailed or executed, independent media was shut down, and religious institutions were suppressed. The Cuban Missile Crisis of 1962, where Castro allowed the Soviet Union to place nuclear missiles in Cuba, brought the world to the brink of nuclear war and highlighted the island's strategic importance in the Cold War. Throughout the 1960s and into the 1970s, Castro's Cuba actively supported anti-colonial and revolutionary movements worldwide. Cuban troops were sent to Africa to support liberation movements, most notably in Angola and Ethiopia, showcasing Castro's commitment to what he saw as global socialist solidarity. 
This interventionist policy elevated Castro's status among left-wing groups globally, even as it drew criticism and further isolated Cuba from the West. Domestically, Castro's policies had mixed results. While education and healthcare improved, economic mismanagement led to periods of severe shortages and hardships for many Cubans. The dependence on Soviet aid made Cuba vulnerable to shifts in global politics, and the U.S. embargo continued to strain the economy. Despite these challenges, Castro maintained a firm grip on power. Thanks partly to his charismatic leadership and the government's extensive control over Cuban society, he became a symbol of resistance to U.S. influence in Latin America and a champion of socialism, albeit a significant cost to civil liberties and political freedoms in Cuba. By the mid-1970s, Castro had firmly established himself as a figure of both reverence and controversy. His leadership had transformed Cuba into a beacon of socialist ideals for some and a repressive regime for others. As the world entered the latter stages of the Cold War, Castro's Cuba continued to navigate the turbulent waters of international politics, with its leader remaining defiant in the face of mounting challenges. Part 4. The Long Sunset, 1976-2016 As the Cold War persisted, Fidel Castro's Cuba continued to play a disproportionate role in international affairs relative to its size. Castro himself evolved into a senior statesman on the global left, championing anti-imperialist causes while navigating the complexities of a world increasingly skeptical of authoritarian socialism. In 1976, Castro took a crucial step in consolidating his governance structure by adopting a new socialist constitution. He was elected president of the Council of State and the Council of Ministers, formalizing his role as the head of state and government. Under his watch, Cuba continued to advocate for global revolutionary movements, but the 1980s brought new challenges that would test Castro's leadership and resilience to the Cuban Revolution. The economic hardships of the island worsened, leading to the Mariano Boatlift in 1980, where thousands of Cubans fled to the United States seeking political asylum, signaling to the world the growing dissatisfaction among the Cuban populace. Meanwhile, the Reagan administration's hardline anti-communist stands meant increased isolation and pressure for the island nation. The collapse of the Soviet Union in 1991 dealt a devastating blow to Cuba's economy, which had readily relied on trade with the communist bloc. The special period, as Castro termed the crisis, led to severe shortages and a drastic reduction in living standards, and as well as a reluctant opening of Cuba and its economy to tourism and foreign investment. Castro's government was forced to legalize the U.S. dollar and encourage readmittances a marked shift from earlier policies. Despite these concessions to capitalist mechanisms, Castro remained ideologically committed to socialism. He continued to rail against the United States, surviving numerous assassination attempts and enduring the U.S. embargo, which further tightened the passage of the Helms-Burton Act in 1996. Internationally, Castro's Cuba maintained its support for leftist governments in Latin America, most notably Hugo Chavez's Venezuela, 
which provided Cuba with much-needed oil in exchange for medical expertise. Castro's influence was critical in bolstering the pink tide of leftist leaders sweeping through Latin America in the early 2000s. On the domestic front, Castro's rule was characterized by an unwavering clampdown on dissent. Human rights organizations frequently criticized his government for its record on free speech, political opposition, and a free press. Yet Castro supporters continue to praise his achievements in education and healthcare and his defiance against American homogeny. In 2006, Castro's health began to fail and he provisionally transferred his duties to his brother Raul Castro. The temporary arrangement became permanent in 2008 when Fidel Castro officially retired, ending nearly five decades of one-man rule. His resignation marked the end of an era, and while he continued to comment on political matters through his reflections, his active role in governing Cuba was over. Fidel Castro's legacy is complex and contentious. To some, he is a hero who stood up to the United States and sought to create an egalitarian society. To others, he is a dictator who suppressed human rights and drove his country into economic ruin. His impact on the 20th century is undeniable, and the story of Cuba under his leadership continues to provoke debate and passion after his resignation and his eventual death on November 25th, 2016. The final chapter of Castro's life is one of a revolutionary icon who became an anachronism in a world that had moved beyond the ideologies that defied his rule, leaving behind a mixed legacy that continues to shape Cuba's path forward. And that brings us to the end of today's episode on Fidel Castro, a figure whose influence on global politics and Cuban life was as profound as it was controversial. He's also who died today November 25th. If you're curious to see images of Fidel Castro or wish to delve deeper into the visual history of the individuals we discuss, please follow our Instagram, who period died period today. Lastly, don't forget to rate us wherever you are listening and share with friends and family. Join us next time on Who Died Today as we continue to share the stories of significant individuals who left a lasting and indelible mark on history. I'm your host, Peter, and thank you for listening.